Foundation. I'm Emily Vanderbush. And I'm Michelle Cordero. And this is Mass Ave. It's been five months since Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. More than 400,000 Puerto Ricans still lack electricity. This situation was made worse just last week when an explosion in San Juan caused power outages in 10 municipalities across the island. Meanwhile, many still have little or no access to food supplies and drinkable water. It's clear from the current situation that Puerto Rico doesn't just need relief, but long-term reforms to help get its infrastructure back up and running. One area of reform that has been brought up since Hurricane Maria has been to repeal a law known as the Jones Act. The Puerto Rican government is asking for additional federal aid to help the millions of people who are still struggling from the effects of Hurricane Maria. Well, now the Department of Homeland Security says the waiver for the Jones Act. The president has authorized the Jones Act to be waived for Puerto Rico. The nearly 100-year-old Jones Act is being debated locally. It's an amendment to modify the Jones Act. But what exactly is the Jones Act? Emily and I sat down with Nick Loris, Heritage's Herbert and Joyce Morgan Fellow in Energy and Environmental Policy, to explain how the law might be holding Puerto Rico back from full recovery. Hey, Nick, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I want to start out by talking about what the current situation is in Puerto Rico. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, about two-thirds to... Three quarters of the population now have access to electricity, although that dipped down about from 75 percent to two thirds as a result of an explosion that occurred. So in terms of getting reliable, affordable power, which was a problem to Puerto Rico even before Hmm. the hurricane, uh, there's still a lot of challenges into getting the grid up and running uh, to the point where a lot of reform advocates want to really scrap the whole thing and start over um, because it's been such an antiquated system for so long that this is a silver lining of the situation is that we could restore the electricity grid in ways that actually provides more affordable, reliable power for the long term, not just this piecemeal approach that's long plagued Puerto Rico's electricity grid. Okay. And what are some of the other factors of Puerto Rico having such a hard time getting back back up and running? Well, one problem that's been discussed uh, for months after the hurricane has been the Jones Act. Okay. Um, and the Jones Act is legislation that is nearly a century old now that says that any good that is shipped from U.S. port to U.S. port um, requires ships that are built in America, uh, flagged, Uh, with the American flag and American crude, uh, so owned and operated by Americans. And that is just prohibitively uh, expensive uh, in a lot of these cases, and it affects our non-contiguous states the most in Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Alaska, and Guam. And you mentioned that this is particularly hard on Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, Puerto Rico. Why is that? Because the Jones Act impacts U.S. port to U.S. port. So If you look at shipping something from L.A. to Honolulu, for instance, uh, there was a state senator from Hawaii that showed that that costs – there was about a 40-foot container that was shipping a number of goods uh, from L.A. to Honolulu, and it costs about $8,700. That same shipment going to Shanghai – 
which was a U.S. port to a, a non-U.S. port, obviously, uh, did not have to use a Jones Act vessel, cost less than $1,000. So that's the cost disparity. So it really affects our non-contiguous states because they're all U.S. ports. It even affects our, our oil industry because each offshore drilling rig is technically considered a U.S. port. Uh, so any vessel that services a, a drilling rig in the Gulf Coast, for instance, if it's going from Louisiana's port out to the, a rig, that needs to be a Jones Act vessel as well. So our coastal states are impacted, but certainly places like Hawaii, Alaska, Puerto Rico, and Guam are most impacted because they have to rely on Jones Act vessels. What was the original purpose of the Jones Act? Was it ever useful, and why isn't it now? Yeah, part of it was, again, just to protect uh, our shipping industry uh, from foreign competition. It was to enhance national security in Mm -hmm. a lot of senses. And uh, it really hasn't worked uh, from an economic or national security standpoint. If you look at the amount of ships, the Jones Act ships that we have here in the United States, it's dwindled significantly, um, especially when you look at the large vessels. Um, There's over 30,000 Jones Act vessels, but a lot of them are things like little tugboats uh, and barges and stuff like that. But if you look at the large carriers, that's dropped down from around uh, 3,000 Jones Act vessels in 1960 uh, to about 170 today. Uh, So in terms of promoting economic competitiveness, it has not done its job in maintaining uh, a very vibrant fleet. What it has done is increase the costs uh, to not only places like Puerto Rico, Hawaii, and Alaska, but uh, really all over the United States because it increases shipping costs from uh, the Atlantic to the Gulf Coast, from the Pacific to the Gulf Coast, whatever the case may be, we're paying nearly $2 billion a year in higher shipping costs as a result of the Jones Act because we're prohibiting foreign competition. So you said it's very inefficient. What are, like, what's an example of how, how that would play out? Yeah, there's a lot of silly examples. The National Public Radio NPR did a, a number of podcasts, uh, Planet Money, uh, okay. on the Jones Act. Uh, and they interviewed a, a cattleman in Hawaii, for instance, who found it ex- too expensive to ship his, his cattle to the mainland. So what he would do is ship them to Canada and then have them driven down from Canada down to the Midwest. Uh, When that was too expensive, he decided to fly them. Uh, And so, you know, if that's the economic distortions that are resulting from this act, that's just one example. Imagine that spread across the country. And now you have Puerto Rico They're demanding to get uh, their goods from Canada, even though it's more than 500 miles away, rather than ports out of New Jersey. So we're losing opportunities in the Midwest and and along the Atlantic coast to ship goods because folks are seeking out more inexpensive shipping opportunities elsewhere. Uh, There was another example during, I believe it was... Superstorm Sandy, or maybe one of the cold spells in the Northeast, where New Jersey was running out of rock salt to treat the roads. And there was a non-Jones Act vessel on the Northeast coast uh, ready to take rock salt. Uh, I believe it was from Maine to New Jersey. If it wasn't Maine, it was either Connecticut, one of the Northeast states. There was a vessel ready, but because it was going from port to port in the United States, 
we could not use that vessel. So New Jersey had to get their rocks out elsewhere and had icy roads, which, you know, that's not what you want uh, in any scenario. Right. So talking about Puerto Rico specifically, what type of goods are they looking for that would not only benefit us, that we could have the goods shipped from our ports, but that would benefit them and help their recovery efforts? What What is it that they're looking for? Yeah, part of it is continuing to get the reliable staples that they need in food, health supplies, drinking water. And to give an example of how much it costs Puerto Ricans to ship things from the United States, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York did a study uh, a few years back and said that it, it costs Puerto Rico uh, nearly $3,000 to ship a container from the Atlantic coast to Puerto Rico if it's a non-Jones Act vessel shipping the same goods to a place like Jamaica, uh, or the Dominican Republic, which doesn't need to use a Jones Act vessel because they're not a U.S. territory, uh, it's about a fraction of the cost. So we could be giving Puerto Rico more opportunity to simply buy more stuff and use their money uh, to buy more goods uh, rather than pay these more expensive shipping costs. And it would help also uh, in terms of getting more batteries, more transmitters, more diesel generators whatever they may need, more batteries to uh, have access to some sort of power generation as they continue to work to get their grid back up and running. These regulations were temporarily lifted previously, correct? Yeah, that's right. There's been a number of instances in which the Jones Act has been waived. And from my standpoint, if it needs to be waived in times of bad situations, why do we have the law at all. Uh, it, it really doesn't do anything except for benefit a select few and then disperse the costs amongst the rest of us. And be, because there's such a well-connected and strong lobby in the shipping industry of maritime lawyers who stand to benefit pretty well from this law, they are able to maintain the fact uh, or they are able to effectively maintain the argument that this is good for their economy, that this is good for national security, even though there really is no national security threat as a result of this act. I mean, we have foreign shippers come into U.S. ports all the time if they're bringing something from, you know, a, a European country to a New Jersey port, and they'll stay at that port for days on end. If we can allow foreign shippers to come into our, our coastal ports, we should be allow, allow them to travel from port to port as well. There really is no credible national security argument. And nearly every economic study that I've seen, if not every single economic study that I've seen on the Jones Act, shows that there are net costs to American consumers. Uh, again, from the Federal Reserve Bank, the U.S. International Trade Commission, a number of respectable economists have all said that this comes at a cost. Uh, there's no net economic benefit. Nick, in closing, if you're going to advise Puerto Rico on how to speed up their recovery, what are your best pieces of advice? Yeah, I think one is eliminate the Jones Act. You know, mm -hmm. One argument from advocates of the Jones Act is that those ships were available to take goods to Puerto Rico. But again, that's not really the argument. The argument is how can we make Puerto Rican dollars go farther? And we can do that by eliminating the Jones Act and have them spend less on shipping costs. The second is really they need wholesale electricity and energy reform. And so if we can privatize the grid and introduce market competition into elements of the energy sector there, that will go a long way into ensuring that 
Puerto Ricans will have affordable, reliable power in the long run. And there's a lot of businesses, Coca-Cola is one of them, uh, that has long relied on their own power generation and diesel generators in Puerto Rico. We don't want to see those businesses go out of Puerto Rico because they're fearful that they won't have access to affordable, reliable energy. So fixing the grid is going to be a challenge, but I think it's a challenge that's well worth taking on to make Puerto Rico's economy more vibrant. And also, if we eliminate the Jones Act, there's opportunities to ship energy uh, as a commodity to Puerto Rico, Uh, whether it's liquefied natural gas or crude oil, we can get them more affordable, reliable power that way too. So I would say those two Reforming those two areas of the law should be welcome. I know Puerto Rico has been clamoring for Jones Act waivers and and repeal for a long time, as has Hawaii and Alaska, because it, it really is nonsensical in almost every economic aspect. I mean, even the cruise industry is affected. I mean, if you do any type of cruise from Seattle to Alaska, most of them originate now in Vancouver because you don't have to use a Jones Act cruise line. Uh, And so it's silly things like that that make people shake their heads, but at the same time, it comes at real lost economic opportunities for uh, places like Alaska and Hawaii and Puerto Rico, but really American consumers all over the place. And that seems like a great place to end it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of Mass Ave. If you like today's podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we would love it if you could leave us a comment on Facebook or iTunes and let us know what you think. Mass Ave is produced by Michelle Cordero and Emily Vanderbush. With editing by Thalia Rampersad.